Today we're going to be looking at the passage from Romans chapter 12 and focusing specifically on Romans chapter 12 verses 9 to 13. But we need to understand this in context. So would you stand with me and let's read God's word from Romans 12 um, verses 1 to 21. This is the word of God. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy, in proportion to our faith. If service, in our serving. The one who teaches, in his teaching. The one who exhorts, in his exhortation. The one who contributes in generosity. The one who leads with zeal. The one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. You may be seated. Let's ask God's blessing on this sermon, on this word. O gracious Heavenly Father, thank you that you have opened your word before us today. Thank you that we have in the word, the very mind of Christ revealed to us. Lord, you have revealed in your word the gospel of our salvation. And it is a glorious gospel. It tells us how much you have loved us through Christ 
and how you have purchased us from every tribe and tongue and nation, a people for yourself, and made us one family in the gospel in Christ Jesus. And so now today, O oh God, we are opening your word to examine how you would have us to live and love as the family of God. Open our eyes, O oh Lord, that we may see wonderful truths in your word. Open our hearts that we may examine ourselves, that we may be circumspect to how we are living out the commands and the application of the gospel in our life. O oh God, build up this church and this community to be one in which the gospel is lived out and the love of Christ is on display to the glory of your name. Be with me, O oh God, as I bring your word. I pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Today, as, as we read, we're looking at the 12th chapter of Romans. And the specific focus is going to be on verses 9 to 13. And the theme of this sermon and the theme of next week's sermon is hospitality. But more broadly, it is genuine love in the Christian community. So today we're going to look at Romans chapter 12, verses 9 to 13, where it focuses on seek to show hospitality to one another. And then next Lord's Day, God willing, we'll look at Romans chapter 15, where it talks about welcoming one another as Christ has welcomed you. Both of these fall under the broad application of love in the family of God, loving one another and living out the fact that the gospel has made us a family. Now, to arrive at Romans chapter 12, obviously I had to jump over chapters 1 to 11. But it's really critical. <clears throat> it's really critical that we consider this chapter, not by itself, but in the context of everything that has come before it in chapters 1 all the way through to chapter 11 before we jump in. So I want to take us on a really brief jet tour through the first 11 chapters of Romans, where Paul has proclaimed the glorious gospel message. And probably you knew this. You, you probably knew Romans is more or less divided in two. 1 to 11, theology, indicatives, what God has done. Very little imperatives, very little about what we ought to do. Heavy on doctrine. And that founds the foundation of what that has to do with our practical life, which is chapters 12 and on, where the application of the gospel is made to us as Christians and even more so to us as the church. Paul reminds the Roman Christians in the first half that the gospel is the good news. It is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes, chapter 117. That all have sinned, they are all under his wrath, 118. That no one is righteous, not even one, 310. And that Jews and Gentiles alike are under God's righteous judgment, for God shows no partiality, chapter 211. That is the, the backdrop of the good news that will come later. But Paul says, Jews and Gentiles alike <clears throat> are under the wrath of God because of sin. But then Paul writes in chapter 3, God has revealed a way of righteousness, a way for sinners to be justified for their sins against a holy God to be forgiven fully, for their guilt before a righteous judge to be wiped out, and their status before him changed from an enemy to a beloved child. Paul says 
This way is justification through faith, apart from the works of the law. For just as all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, chapter 3.23, so all who receive Christ by faith are justified by God's grace as a gift, chapter 3.24. And it is a gift that is not earned, but it is received by faith as a grace from God, by believing in the death of Christ, whom God has put forward as a sacrifice for our sins. And it is only through this gospel that the requirements of God's holy law can be met, not by our own obedience, not by our own righteous works, but by the holy righteous works of Christ and his perfect obedience imputed to us, credited on our behalf. So our sin is paid, not by our death, but by the redeeming blood of Christ that the, rede that the believers receive by faith. That, that's the gospel. And then Paul fills out the, the implications of the gospel in, in the later verses, uh, ch chapters five to eight, that we receive peace with God. We receive hope and joy and endurance in trials, growth in godly character, freedom from condemnation and eternal life. Our old life, the, the life that we, that we used to live we die to in Christ. And we have been given a new life and a new nature, set free from slavery to sin, brought over into slavery to God, alive to God in Christ. And, and even though we may wrestle with our fleshly weaknesses, Paul talks about that in chapter seven, but God gives us the ultimate victory because there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus in chapter eight. Christ has given us new life in his spirit and he is working out all things for his good for, for our good and for his glory God who has not spared his own son but graciously has given us up given him up for us all and so we are confident that nothing will separate us from his love in Christ Jesus and so that's the backdrop this theology is the backdrop for what we have now in chapter 12 as Paul transitions to talk about how God wants this gospel truth to impact our daily life. So before he's saying, this is the gospel, this is the doctrine by which we are saved, and now on the basis of this doctrine, this is how I want you to live. This is what God has done. This is what God has done. And because of what God has done, this is now what I want you to do. And so there really is a real transition in chapter 12. Chapter 12 alone gives us 45 imperatives, 45 commands, what Christians must do. You read the chapter and you feel exhausted by the end. Christians must do. And it's not because we must do it, but we got to do it. We got to, on our own strength, on our own ability, uh, because it says what we got to do. It says, but it's because of the mercies of God in Christ Jesus and because of the theology, the rich gospel that Christ has purchased us, that then motivates us and empowers us to live out these commands. And if we look, we look back at verses one and two, it begins by saying that we not, as Christians, we need to present our bodies to God as a living sacrifice, to, to renew our minds. And this is our spiritual act of worship. This is a personal command. This is about our personal worship unto God. And then verses three and eight begins to shift to one another commands. It says that we are members one another. 
and we are members of one body, one body in Christ. So this, this, there's a progression from individual commands, the gospel applied to us as individual Christians, worshiping God, our relationship with God, to a second layer, that, that, that's the first circle. The second circle is about how we ought to live as members of the body of Christ. So we see these progressive circles. In the third circle, we're not going to look at today, but that's how do we live in this fallen world to our enemies and to people around us from verses 14 to 21. Uh, but, but today, let's focus on this second circle, how we ought to live members of one another. How does the gospel impact the way we live within the body of Christ? So let's look again at verse 19, verse 9 to 13. Let's read it Let's read it again. Um, Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. It's notable that these key instructions for the Christian family begins by saying, let love be genuine. Love must be sincere, genuine, issuing from a pure heart. And the sad thing is that if you ask unbelievers, I think for the most part, many of them would say, oh, Christians and the church is characterized by a bunch of phony people with phony smiles saying phony things about how much they love each other. And that may be true. And it's, if it is true, to the, de- to the degree that it is true, it's to our shame. The Christian community is not just a human affiliation. It's not like a club. It's not like a society like, you know, the Lions or the Rotary Club or something like that. But it is a family of God. Family, actually family is the most common picture, the most common metaphor used to describe the church in the New Testament. Do you know how many times um, it says the word brother or brethren or sister in the New Testament? More than 250 times does it use that word, especially in Paul's letters, to describe the relationship that we have to one another. And the reason's obvious, because this is the most intimate human relationship that we can have, right? Brother and sister in Christ, it's so close. The fraternal bond of love, brother and sister. Only this kind of intimate human relationship could express the love and the closeness and the privileges, the new relationships that exist between us and God and between us and one another because of the gospel. And so verse 10 continues, love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. This is not the attitude of, well, you know, like we're in the family together, so whether we like it or not, so let's just tolerate each other. You know, like that's why we have such a big vehicle. Then each kid gets their own aisle and they don't have to fight over which space is which. You know, this is my line and you go on that side and that go on that side and we'll get along as long as you don't go on my side. That's not the attitude of the church. The attitude is outdo one another in showing honor and love one another with brotherly affection. We all share 
the same Heavenly Father. We share the same indwelling spirit. We share the same baptism. We share the same unbreakable family bond because it is the blood of Christ that unites us. And so we think, my precious brother, my precious sister, that one, she or he, has been purchased with the holy blood of God's precious own son. She is worthy of great love and great honor. She or he is worthy of all the brotherly affection that can upwell from the riches of the love of God that God has lavished on us. And so that's what Paul is telling us to do. But sometimes love can be intangible and, and kind of abstract, and even we might have it in here, but, but what do we do with it? How do we show it? How can we practically show honor and love to one another in the body of, of believers? Well, what did the New Testament church do? How did they communicate love within their community? Acts gives us a clear picture. Acts chapter 2, they shared their possessions. Acts chapter 5, they met daily in one another's homes. They ate together. They cared for the needy among them. They showed hospitality to one another. They were characterized by hospitality. And these are precisely the ways, the practical ways that Paul teaches us to show love in the body of Christ in verse 13, where Paul says, contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. And so now we're going to unpack that one verse for the remainder of our time. Practical love, Paul says, contributing to the needs of the saints and showing hospitality. Paul is saying that this love that we have in the body can be vividly, tangibly communicated as we meet one another's needs and as we show hospitality within one another. But here we need to stop and we need to clarify in, in our minds what does the scripture mean by hospitality? So when I say hospitality, what comes into your, what image comes into your brain? Maybe for some of you, you think of better homes and garden. Martha Stewart living. Images of tea sets and cucumber sandwiches with no, with no crust and white gloves. Expunge that image immediately. That is not the biblical picture of hospitality. If you like that kind of thing, invite me by. But that's not what the Bible says when it's talking about biblical hospitality. It's not what we in our culture would call entertaining guests. When the Bible talks about hospitality, it's talking about an expression of gospel love towards brothers and sisters in Christ and also towards those who need Christ. So that's our definition. I'm going to repeat it. Biblical hospitality is an expression of gospel love towards brothers and sisters in Christ and towards those who need Christ. It is expressing the love of God that we have received in the gospel to our brothers and sisters and to those who don't know the Lord. It, it, we call it gospel love because the message of the gospel is what? Christ welcoming sinners. Jesus came into the world. Think about his, his human ministry. Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And throughout his public ministry, what was he doing? He was constantly welcoming sinners. Not just the nice people, but the low-down, scoundrel, dirty-type sinners. Prostitutes, tax collectors, 
those who found themselves enslaved to sin, Jesus welcomed them just as he welcomed us. So gospel love is, is a manifestation of the kind of hospitality that says, I've been welcomed by Jesus as a sinner. And so now I have an open heart and an open home to welcome others into my life, into my home, because of what Jesus has done for me. To quote Brian Borgman, just priming the pump for the family camp, to quote Brian Borgman, biblical hospitality is a natural byproduct of the gospel. Biblical hospitality, opening up our hearts and our homes, is a natural byproduct of God working in us and welcoming us to himself. Biblical hospitality is ministry to people. It is shared life. Biblical hospitality really is nothing less than living out life together and sharing what God has given. So this is what it is. Now let's go back to the Bible and see how this scripture gives us a more full understanding of biblical hospitality and how we can carry it out in our church and in our life. So we have a number of lessons. Actually, I, I had 11 and then eight, and now I pared it down to five. It's like Gideon's army. So number one, hospitality is a practical expression of Christian love. We already saw this, but it bears repeating. Every scriptural exhortation in the Bible Everywhere where we see the words practice hospitality or seek to show hospitality or do not neglect to show hospitality, all of them are exactly in the immediate context of brotherly love in the, in the body, in the church. We saw that in, in Romans chapter 12, right? Chapter 12, verse 13, seek to show hospitality is a, is a manifestation and an application of Romans 12, 9, and 10 about loving one another genuinely with brotherly love. And this same pattern appears in other places. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 1 and 2. It says, let brotherly love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality. Do not neglect to show hospitality. As, we, as our brotherly love continues, do not neglect to show hospitality. And then 1 Corinthians 13 reminds us, everything amounts to a big fat zero if it is not done with an attitude of love. Love for God and love for those whom God puts in our life. 1 Peter 4.8 says, Above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. That's verse 8. Then verse 9 immediately follows, Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. So we see again and again that hospitality in the Bible is a biblical expression of love. How do we say love to one another? Through biblical hospitality, through opening up our hearts and our lives and our homes to share the life that we have received together from God. Alexander Strauch writes in, in a little booklet called The Hospitality Commands that hospitality fleshes out love in a uniquely personal and sacrificial way. Through the ministry of hospitality, we share that which is most precious to us. We share our family our home, our finances, our food, our privacy, and our time. Indeed, we share our very lives. 
this kind of gospel love, I, I don't think is humanly possible to be expressed in just 90 minutes on a Sunday. This kind of, of gospel love is, is not an abstract, indistinct idea. It, it takes Christian love and puts wheels on it, puts it into practice. It makes the love that we have, that we have received in Christ, visible and tangible. It's love that you can taste. And ultimately, it is love as an expression of our love to God. We read in the call to worship, Jesus' words, Matthew 25, 35. He said, I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. So in a very real sense, Jesus himself is the guest who is shown hospitality when we show hospitality. So hospitality, it's a beautiful expression of our transformed lives. We, you know, the hymn says, I was dying in my sin, had no ear to hear your voice, did not know your love within. We didn't care about God. We didn't care about others. We only cared about ourselves. But Christ has changed us so that now we have love for God and the love for God overflows with love for his people. And, and, and it, 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 it doesn't just stay there, but it manifests in real sharing of life through hospitality. And that's what Apostle Paul says here, and, and that's what we see modeled for us in the New Testament, in the early church. Hospitality fuels the flames of love. It enriches and deepens love. It's the flesh and the muscle put on the bones of love. Through caring acts of hospitality, the reality of our love is tested. And so then hospitality is a down-to-earth, concrete, litmus test of our love for God and for God's people. Second, Christian hospitality opposes our natural selfishness. And I think that even saved people, if we're honest, it must admit that naturally we are selfish at heart. And selfishness is the greatest enemy of hospitality. Actually, hospitality is not easy. I, I'm not saying that because we have so much love. It just like flows out of us and we don't have to do anything. No, it's hard. It's inconvenient. It's, it's hard. We do not want to share our time. We do not want to share our privacy. We have busy lives. We have things to do. We have people to go and places to see and etc. We are custom, uh, we are c consumed with our personal comforts and, and our whole culture is framed around keeping others out. We drive into our, 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 we come home from work, we drive into our garage, we don't even have to get out of the car, we press the button, door opens, we go in, door closes, we don't have to see anybody, we don't have to talk to anybody, we, we can order our food, Uber comes and drives it, we can order our videos in, Netflix, we don't have to see anybody. People, you know, it used to be that a recluse is kind of weird, but now we're all, we have a culture of recluses. And that's what's valued. That's what's valued. I think, I remember reading once that people spend more money on their personal entertainment system in their home than they do in like 10 years of birthday presents, something like that. This is, this is countercultural. This is the, the attitude that Paul is wanting us to get away from. So we don't 
uh, all of these attitudes are selfish. Selfishness is the mark of the old unregenerate life. It is worldliness and it is contrary to hospitality. It's opposed to everything that Jesus taught and everything that Jesus lived. And so we have to, we have to repent of this selfish culture in which we live and we have to, we have to act against the culture, counter-cultural. Remembering nothing in this world will remain except two things, the church of Christ and the eternal souls of people. Jesus spent himself fully for his church and he placed us in a family where we're commanded to serve one another as his hands and feet. And he placed us in neighborhoods where we are commanded to be the light of the gospel. And people, this is a post-Christian world in which we live. People are not willing to come to church. And so probably our most effective witness is just to open up our homes and open up our lives. And that is so weird that people will no doubt ask, why are you doing this? And we have an opportunity to share the love of Christ. But our love is so easily cold and we so easily become apathetic and so easily get wrapped up in what we have to do. And so we must confess our sinful selfishness before God and before his people and pray, oh breath of God, breathe on us that we may serve one another with gladness as you have served us and thereby partake of the love that you intend for your people to share. Amen. Thirdly, Christian hospitality leads to unexpected blessings. Hebrews chapter 3, verse 2 says, Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Does that story sound familiar? We looked at it not long ago. This is, this is talking about the Old Testament, right? In, in Genesis chapter 18, uh, Abraham showed hospitality to three visitors. One of them was God in a theophany. The other two were angels. And there's other stories like that too, right? Lot, uh, Gideon, Samson's parents, they all showed hospitality to angels unawares. So, so what is the Bible saying here? If we, you know, practice hospitality, an angel might come in, incognito into our home? I, I don't think that's the point, really. But it is saying that when we practice hospitality, we can expect unexpected blessings from God, unexpected rewards. We, we can never anticipate how God will use the ones that we bring into our lives as his messengers of blessing. It may be hard work, undoubtedly hard work, inconvenient, but when hospitality is shared, there is mutual blessing for both the host and the guest. And I can attest to this personally. When we lived in Ottawa, my, my family, we renovated our basement so that students could live in the, in the basement. They had the bathroom, they had their own bit private area. Uh, but then we would get together for meals, we would, eat, we would read the Bible together, and, and we shared life together. And we even called it common life, common life. And we had little babies crawling around, our three little kids were born there, the, the, the older girls. So it wasn't easy, but it enriched our life tremendously. And, and some of the, the people, that was eight, eight, seven, eight years ago, we're still in touch. They invited us recently. He's getting married. He invited us to his wedding in Toronto. 
Every person you welcome into your home is a person of infinite value. And you don't know how God will use them, like an angel in your life, a messenger of his blessing, bringing the richness of God's rich rewards into your life. And I can testify to that again here, having many of you into my home and having me into many of your homes, what a blessing, what a rich reward, an unexpected reward that God has given us, that we can share this, that it's genuine family life and love and investment in the gospel, the seeds that you plant, the love that you share, the investment of time that you put into loving God's people, these are spiritual investments that will lay up for you a treasure in heaven. And I believe rich, rich treasure in a life enriched by the people of God, in life enriched by the deep relationships that are formed. And not just in an individual sense, but the whole church becomes a community as we love and, and show hospitality in this way. So it is much a privilege for us to entertain God's people today as it was for Abraham to entertain angels. Number four, Christian hospitality is an effective medium for the spread of the gospel, for Christian discipleship, and for brotherly care. We already talked a little bit about this, but just think about in your mind all the instances, all the examples of hospitality in the New Testament. Think about the stories where people were meeting in other people's homes. Right? Remember Levi, who became Apostle Matthew. He was a tax collector. All he thought was give, uh, take, take, take. Take from others. Enrich myself. When, when Jesus called him, what did he do? He went home and he gave a banquet for the other tax collectors, other sinners. That was his hospitality. And then Jesus used that to evangelize his friends. The Lord used homes and tables. I, I think how many stories in the Bible, how much of the teaching in the Bible took place in a home, took place around a table. The Lord used homes and tables innumerable times to engage people in spiritual discussion and to bring about life-changing encounters with the gospel. After Pentecost, Acts chapter 5 says that the Jerusalem church met every day in the temple and from house to house, and they did not cease teaching and preaching that the Christ is Jesus. It was a home church ministry. They would gather together in the homes of the believers. And as the gospel spread, that hospitality became essential for the support of the preachers. Think about all the, the people who are mentioned in the New Testament as being hosts. Simon the Tanner. In Acts chapter 9 and 10, he, he hosted Peter, and then Peter had the vision of coming down, and, and then the gospel spread to the Gentiles. In, in Acts chapter 16, Lydia, who, by the way, was a full-time business lady, but she still took Paul into her home and showed him hospitality. Paul, in Philemon, he told him to prepare a room for me, a guest room, in Philemon 22. Aquila and Priscilla, they hosted the church in their home in 1 Corinthians 16. Phoebe, in Romans 16, is said to be a helper of many. In 3 John, this man named Gaius is, is, is commended for welcoming the itinerant preachers who went around preaching the gospel. At that time, you couldn't stay in hotels. They were like brothels. Gaius brought them in, even though he didn't know them, and John, the apostle, is, is welcoming him and, and commending him for that hospitality and telling him to send them out as, un, as, as unto God. Hospitality, in fact, 
was such a hallmark of the early church that the Christians were mocked. There, there's, there's a second century document written by Cecilius um, who criticized Christians because, um, I quote, hardly have they met when they love each other. Indiscriminately, they call each other brother and sister. See how they love each other and how ready they are to die for each other. So he made fun of them because of the hospitality that they showed. Oh, that people would make fun of us for the amount of love shown in hospitality in this body. So I've said this already, but, but Christianity, our Christian hospitality is tremendously countercultural. Our culture is so individualistic. It cherishes personal privacy and, and individual space. Francis Schaeffer says it, it's the idol of personal peace and affluence. Very rarely do people want to enter church. It's post-Christian. I think that they're afraid of what we do in this church. They have no clue what's going on in here for the most part. And it is in this environment that Christian hospitality can be such an effective medium for the gospel. People who won't attend church uh, may come into our home for dinner or they may go to a barbecue in, in the backyard, a cookout. And so the hospitality is a way for us to show the love of Christ in our neighborhoods, to our unbelieving friends, to our coworkers, our neighbors. As we show hospitality to them, we can communicate our care, God's care. And it's tangible, it's low barrier, and it hopefully may open the door to share the gospel with them. Hospitality is also an effective medium for Christian care to one another within the body. You don't need a license to care for people. You don't need seminary training. You don't need to be a certified biblical counselor. Those things are useful, but you already have all you need. You have the gospel, you have the love of Christ, you have the word of God, and you have a home and food. What else do you need? With that, you can bring tremendous blessing into the lives, and lo uh, into the lives of God's people. Simply opening your home and sharing the love and knowledge of Christ. You don't even need a home. Just a room will do, or a chair, or meet out in the park, or something. So it's not a question of practicality. It's not a question of my situation. It's a question of love for Christ and obedience to the command of Christ. If you want new Christians to grow, open your home. Uh, Rosaria Butterfield uh, uh, recently wrote a book. Maybe, maybe some of you know her. And the book is called The Gospel Comes with a House Key. And it's about hospitality. And she talks about how they'll invite neighbors in. They'll invite church members in. And ask them to fold the laundry, help them cook the dinner, do certain things. It's not about pretentious. It's not about showing off. It's just about sharing life. And that kind of love is born out of hearts transformed by the gospel. Your best tool to enhance a loving Christian community may be your home. Heaven alone knows the impact that you can make in a lifetime of Christian hospitality. So now I, I want to make some very specific application here. This is the point in the sermon where Brian Borgman said, I'm, I'm switching from preaching to meddling. And maybe I have to say the same. I'm, pre I'm switching from preaching to meddling. There is nothing more designed to reflect the community of heaven than the church of the Lord Jesus. And I have to say, thank God 
that this is evident in this church. Thank God for the times where families meet together, where they do activities together, where they babysit for each other, where they serve each other. I know many of you have tasted the love, actually literally tasted the love within each other's homes. My family has enjoyed and, and are so richly and blessed by the rich hospitality that you have shown to us. Praise God. May this continue. May your tribe increase. But we have to also ask ourselves, have we or, or can we or do we become complacent towards this command? Maybe we might think, you know, we don't really have time to practice hospitality or we, we don't need to practice hospitality. We're already eating together every Sunday. And it's true, we are. And, and that's wonderful and I think it needs to continue and even get more. It may be think, we may think it's, you know, in my personal situation, I can't. And, and granted, hospitality won't look the same for everybody. But the command of the Bible is the same. Maybe you do invite people often, and I know many of you do, but think for me, think with me, do you often invite the same group of, of your friends again and again? That's wonderful, and, but it can also be easy and safe. Are you allowing that kind of safe hospitality to keep you from showing the love of Christ to the whole body? to those on the fringe, especially to unbelievers who are in our midst, who we have a perfectly custom-made opportunity to show them the love of Christ and what the gospel does in the heart of a transformed person. Is that the kind of hospitality you are living out in this body? Remember that Luke chapter 6, 32, Jesus says, if you love those who love you, what, what benefit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. The true mark of a Christian is the one who loves those who God loves with the love of Christ. So we have to ask ourselves, how does our hospitality stand up under the light of God's word? When was the last time you intentionally opened your life and your home to build up another Christian? Are you on the lookout for those who need your love? When was the last time you invited an unbeliever into your home for the purpose of showing them the love of God? When was the last time that you made an effort to reach out to your neighbors, to invite them and, and to show them, to share with them and to love on them? So we need help. We need God's help. The, the, we can see this is a gospel command, but we need his help to carry it out. How can we grow in obedience to this command in the scripture? And Alexander Strauch in, in his book, uh, the hospitality commands, he does provide some very useful suggestions. He has about 14 or 15. I, I've narrowed them down to a smaller list, but if you want, I can show you the, the longer list later. And the first thing that we need to do is we need to pray. Pray that God may give us joy in serving his people. Confess in our prayer, our selfishness, our pride, our fear that hinders us from opening our homes to others. Ask God to change my heart in this area so that I may seek to show hospitality. And by the way, the, work, the word here in, in, in Romans chapter 12, seek to show hospitality, the word seek, doikos, 
it has the word, it has the sense of the meaning to pursue after. And in extra biblical Greek, it's used as a hunter pursuing after a prey and seeking after it and grabbing hold of it and bringing it home. That's the kind of attitude Paul is saying. It's not, oh, I'll do it you know, on holidays or when relatives come. It's, uh, I'm looking for opportunities to do it. I'm seeking, pursuing, actively engaged, trying to find those with whom Christ's love needs to be shown and I have the opportunity to do so. And that requires, number two, to prioritize rearrange your activities or, or reduce them if they hinder your hospitality. If you have time pressures, maybe God wants you to reevaluate your schedule or your priority in your home in light of this biblical command. Number three, plan ahead and schedule. Without a schedule, nothing gets done. Without being intentional, nothing's going to happen. So, Sit together as a family, husband and wife, children, and decide upon how often you're going to show hospitality. And, and there's no rule in the Bible. The New Testament believers, they said day by day, right? So maybe that's a bit much. But decide once a week, bi-weekly, once a month. When? First Sunday of the month, last Sunday of the month, middle of the month. You know, um, neighbors on the first, Christians on the second, family on the third. What are you going to do? Make a plan. Make a plan for your family and then stick to the plan. Plan when your home is going to be open. Schedule your other activities around that so that you can be used by God as an instrument of his blessing in the lives of others. And, you know, for our family, we, we like Sunday. Sunday evening, it's a natural time. We, we, we have the word of God. We have something to talk about, the sermon. It's a natural time to invite brothers and sisters in for a meal and for fellowship. Number four, make a list of those whom you would like to invite. Often it's the pastor that gets invited often, and, and you know, that's not a bad thing. That's kind of a perk. Uh, I, I can see that uh, <clears throat> I'm, I'm well on my way. But prayerfully consider, who does the Lord want me to bless? And write them down. Who are the ones that I don't see very much? Who are the people who are on the fringe? Who are the ones that don't get invited very much? Who are the ones who are lonely? Who are the widows? Who, who are the widowers? Who are the, the seniors? Who are the ones that mostly, probably eat most meals alone? Who are the students? Who are the ones that haven't had a home-cooked meal in maybe three or four months? Who are the ones that are going through a trial? Who are the ones that are, are physically in, in, in pain? Who are the ones that are, are beaten down? Who are the ones that Christ has given me the ability to serve and to bless? Consider your neighbors. Which ones do you think are the most open? Would you invite them over? Would they, can they come? When will you do it? Uh, holidays provide good excuses. Here you go. Here's a, a, a jar of, of preserve. Happy Canada Day. I'm Joshua. Would you like to get together for coffee sometime? You know, like that kind of opportunity. Consider Jesus' words from Luke 14. When you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or your rich neighbors, lest they also invite you and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. Jesus says that this genuine hospitality, it's ministry to the Lord. It's ministry to others. It's not about what I get back in return. It's about serving those who won't or who can't pay me back and ministering them unto Christ and that will receive a heavenly reward.
Next, keep it simple. Hospitality doesn't require tablecloths and fine china and gourmet meals. It doesn't have to be expensive. Keep just a bunch of inexpensive recipes. Our family likes like spaghetti, tacos, cheap things that everybody likes that's pretty easy to put together. Remember that hospitality, is, it's not about loving, pardon me, it's not about impressing. It's about loving and about serving. And, and here's a quote from Karen Maines in her book, Open Heart, Open Home, where she says, worldly entertaining is a terrible bondage. Its source is human pride. It says, I want to impress my beautiful home, with my clever decorating, with my gourmet cooking. Hospitality, however, seeks to minister. It says, this home is not mine. It is a gift from my master, and I am his servant, and I use it as he pleases. Hospitality is not to impress, but to serve. And sixthly, and then lastly, make the most of the time. You have guests there. They're there for, for a period of time, a couple of hours. Use the time to get to know them. Use the time for you to be a blessing to them. Show genuine interest. Ask good questions. How were you saved? Tell me your testimony. How did you meet? How did you guys get married? What did God do to bring you to providence? What special lessons has the Lord taught you recently? What books have you enjoyed? What are your favorite Christian bands or, you know, whatever? If it's a neighbor, there's lots of things that you can talk about by asking questions. And you can also plan creative activities. People love that. You know, just playing games. My family has some great recommendations if you want to know. Reading scripture together, singing together, go for a walk together. At the right time of year, pick raspberries together and then eat them. There's lots of things that you can do just together and that life is what communicates love. One of the most special things is when you can involve your guests in your regular family worship time. Oh, that, that is such a rich, unifying, blessed time because then they can see how you minister within the gospel of your own home. And it may be an encouragement to them and it may be maybe even a rebuke to them or, or they may have some insights and helps for you. We, we have so many opportunities to show hospitable love to one another. We have a perfect opportunity every Lord's Day we go downstairs for the fellowship time. So when you go down there, keep this word in mind. Seek to show hospitality. Don't just sit with the same friends that you always sit with. Look around, see, is there any family by themselves? Is there anybody alone? Is there anybody I can talk to? Is there anybody whom needs a word of encouragement? This, especially invite newcomers. If there's a couple sitting in the pews you don't recognize, say, by the way, at the end of the service, we have some coffee. Please come and sit with us. We'd love to talk to you. We'd love to get to know you. Invite them. Invite those we don't know well. Take an opportunity. What I like to do, kind of, I'm not the gold standard by any means, but, but what I really like to do is to uh, get my, like, sandwich and then sit with the group and then get my dessert and sit with a different group they get my coffee and sit with a different group. And that way I have an opportunity to make sure that there's no one who's left alone. Can you imagine if that was the attitude we had in our, in our fellowship downstairs? Always everyone seeking to serve and to identify, you know, visitor radar that we want to know everyone is, is participating in this love and life that we have in the gospel. I don't want it to be superficial. It's not like musical chairs, everyone running around, but, but it's about the love of Christ manifesting itself in love for one another.
And that brings us to the final point, that Christian hospitality is a visible expression of what God has done for us in the gospel. Think about this. The gospel itself is described as God putting on a lavish banquet and going out into the street and finding all the no goods and all the people who are down and out and bringing them into his banquet for eternity. We were the no goods. We were the down and outs. We were the ones that God mercifully brought into his family. He has shown hospitality to us. In Christ, he has invited us into his household. Though we were strangers, he has invited us with the words of Isaiah 55, verse 1, where God beckons people, come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he who has no money, come, buy, and eat. God has welcomed you into his heavenly family. He has cleansed your sins with his holy blood, the blood of his son. He has given you his spirit. Jesus himself has given you his own flesh and blood for your spiritual food. In a few minutes, we will celebrate the Lord's Supper. Isn't the Lord's Supper the most perfect picture of Christian hospitality? Christ breaking bread, his own body, and offering himself for us spiritually to partake of him, giving his life for us so that we may be a part of God's family, God's household, and we can commune together. At the Lord's table, we gather by the divine hospitality of our gracious host, the Lord Jesus. We feed on his crucified body by faith and we receive spiritually all the benefits of his death. We remember his death for our sins and really it is a supper. The Lord's Supper is a supper where we banquet together with Christ and with Christ's people. The Lord's Supper is a visible memorial of God's welcome to us in, in Christ's death. And in the like way, our hospitality is the love of the gospel put into action and directed towards God's people and those who don't know Christ. May God help us to practice this kind of gospel love more and more for his glory. Amen. Let's pray. Oh, gracious God, thank you for the mercy that you have shown to us in Christ. Thank you that you have called us out of darkness into light, into the marvelous light. Lord, I am so glad that I am part of the family of God. I am so thankful that you have purchased all of these, my brothers and sisters, so precious to me with the holy blood of your son. Thank you for giving us to one another. Thank you for calling us to serve one another. Thank you for the privilege that we have to share the life of Christ with one another and to vis uh, visibly and tangibly share uh, our life and to serve one another hospitably. Lord, thank you for the level of hospitality that we do have in this church. We cannot take any credit. It is truly a work of your grace in our hearts. Lord, thank you for the ways that we are showing love to one another. Thank you for the many times people have been in my home or people have it brought me into their home all to, uh, and to within one another. Lord, th there's a beautiful community already built up in this body. 
But Lord, may we grow in it more and more. May we excel in it. May you produce in our hearts love for Christ that is expressed in practical love for those who belong to Christ and to those who need Christ. Lord, the times that we have neglected ones who, who need the gospel, that, that we neglected to show love to them, times where we've misused what you have given us, Oh, Lord, forgive us. Make our, our hearts filled with the love that the believers in the New Testament church had, with the love that, that you give us in your word. Lord, teach us again as we take the Lord's Supper how you have shown hospitality to us, how you have welcomed us into your, ha into your family, how you have given us Christ and his blood and his broken body for us as true bread, as true spiritual food. Lord, may that be the motivation for us to show love to our brothers and sisters in Christ and to the world around us. I pray in Christ's name. Amen.